here's what I've discovered about the government. I have discovered that people are cynical about this, the federal government. I have, my generation, Gen X, we're cynical about everything, but Gen X, if you talk to people in my generation, it's like, oh, never see social security. Oh, I'm paying into it, baby, but it's not gonna be around there for me. They say that all the time, Gen Xers. I know teachers who say things like, man, the government's not only telling me what to teach, but now they're telling me how to teach it. And then there are nurses that are like, oh yeah, the government tells us we can't turn people away at the ER and it's clogging everything up when they could be treated for things in clinics and doctor's offices, but the way the government has it set up, it's like it clogs everything. So let me ask you a question. How many of you trust the government to do the right thing? Show of hands. That's one, okay? How many, how many, how many, come on, really? Yeah, exactly. Our government has a nickname. Did you know our government has a personified nickname? Our government is called Uncle Sam. It came around in the War of 1812, and a guy, I love this, a guy by the name of James Flagg, made this picture of him in 1917. It was a war recruiting poster that was used in World War I and World War II. See, Uncle Sam is pointing at you and he says, I want you for the US Army. Well, if we were to have a poster for Uncle Sam today, you know what Uncle Sam would be saying? Well, I can't get to the next one, boom. Oh, help me, Jesus. There we go, woo. Uncle Sam would say this, exactly, you guys got it. And look, I think he's packing. <laughs> I want your money. I want your money. You want to know why? Uncle Sam's broke. He is. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Uncle Sam has a spending problem. Here, in case you've never seen these, uh, these are the deficits of the United States federal government. Um, but hey, we had some, a few years where we actually brought in more money than we spent. Woo, go us. Um, but on the whole, uh, there does seem to be a trend. <laughs> and that is we, we got Uncle Sam spending more than he makes. Now, when you spend more than you make, that's called a deficit. When you bring in more than you make, that's called a surplus. And the accumulating effect of spending more than you make is called the debt or the public debt, okay? So um, right now, the US public debt is at $19 trillion. You can't even fathom what that is, I can't either. Um, and so your share of that is $60,000. So for every single one of you here that's a US citizen, um, if you could kind of help out, um, you can leave that 60000 on your way out. That would be very helpful, and we could just knock that debt off. Um, the problem is this, that $19 trillion is a little misleading because um, all these years that the government has been collecting more in Social Security and Medicare taxes than it's needed to spend out, it's actually borrowed that money and spent it. Now it says there are some trust funds called the Social Security Trust Fund or the Medicare Trust Fund. Those are actually empty, but they do have government IOUs that say, we'll pay that back, we promise, we swear. So I don't know if you know this, but next year is actually the big tipping point where 
that extra money that's been coming in all these 20 past 30 years, it actually reverses. And because baby boomers are retiring and using this stuff now, they'll actually be spending more than they're bringing in. Some of you look concerned. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. I didn't know, right? Now, the other thing that Uncle Sam has uh, that he's got to address is that the, the amount of money uh, interest, the amount of interest that he's going to pay to borrow on this money is actually going to increase over the next 20 years. So when we get to about 2020, 2025, 2030, somewhere in there, um, the interest on our debt, if we haven't paid it off, will be around $800 billion a year, almost a trillion dollars a year in interest. So again, I, I say all that to say Uncle Sam is broke. And as the cost of borrowing goes up, Uncle Sam will face some difficult choices. He won't be able to do all the things he's been doing. He'll have to get some more money coming in and he'll have to cut things um, because debt limits freedom. Debt limits freedom. The more debt you have, the less free you are. And what's true of Uncle Sam is true of you and me. I, I have a friend who's on staff at a church in Lexington. They're 10 times our size, 10 times our size. We at Generations Community Church will spend more on children and youth ministries this year in 2016 than they will. They're 10 times our size. Wanna know why? 70 cents out of every dollar they're getting right now is going toward debt reduction. 70% of their intake is paying off debt. It limits what you can do. Um, a number of years ago, I had a young couple I really believed in. They were Asbury grads, and they were going to go to the mission field, and it was going to be awesome. And she owed $35,000 in student debt, and he owed $42,000 in student debt. They bought a $15,000 car, and they had $7,500 on a visa. And they went to missions organization number one. And missions organization number one said, no. They went to missions organization two, and missions organization two said, no. They went to missions organization three. And what did missions organization three say? Yes. No. Yeah. And so now uh, they're working, and they're trying to pay down that debt. Debt limits freedom. But did you know that in our country, we didn't have such a uh, laissez-faire attitude about debt? There was a day and time in America where people actually didn't want to get in debt. My, my grandparents grew up in the Great Depression. So here's a picture of a couple of kids in the Great Depression. It can't be a Great Depression photo unless the kids are barefoot, right? It's kind of like a requirement. Well, my grandma and grandpa grew up in the Great Depression. I remember hearing stories that they would tell of what it was like and how little they had. All throughout their lives, they borrowed for one thing. You know what that one thing was? A house. And boy, they paid it off in 10 or 15 years. Like, it, it, it took everything in them. They were like, oh my gosh, I can't owe, I can't owe, I can't owe. When they wanted to buy a car, do you know what they did? They saved and saved and saved and saved and saved, and then they bought the car. When they wanted anything, they would save and save and save and save, and then they would buy it once they had the cash to buy it. Doesn't that sound totally weird? Like, who does that? That's wackadoodle. What? Save money for stuff? That is crazy. Who does that? Okay, there's a few of you here that do that, but we are a nation of borrowers now. We are okay borrowing for all kinds of stuff. We borrow for houses. We borrow for 
furniture, we borrow for education, we borrow for coffee at Starbucks, we borrow, we just, this, it's who we are. But just because Uncle Sam spends more money than he makes doesn't mean you should. Just because Uncle Sam is incurring debt doesn't mean you should. And just because Uncle Sam's broke doesn't mean you have to be broke. I wanna read you a statement from a government official. The budget should be balanced. The treasury should be refilled. Public debt should be reduced. The arrogance of the officialdom should be tempered and controlled. And assistance to foreign lands should be cut, lest our nation become bankrupt. People must again learn to work instead of living on public assistance. I used this quote about four years ago. You know who's saying it and how, long, how old it is? Rome. Yeah, it's Rome. This is Cicero, 55 BC. <laughs> You read that quote and you're like, whoa, that's like America. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. Is there a Roman empire today, folks? No, I mean, metaphorically, some people say America's the new Roman and, and whatnot, but, but can you get a Roman empire passport anywhere? No, you can't, Rome's gone. One of the reasons Rome's gone is Rome got into some serious debt. <laughs> and they could not repay it. And when you talk to historians about what led to that, debt is one of the issues that tripped Rome up. Did you know that the Bible has a lot to say about money? A lot of Christians don't know this, and a lot of church people don't know this, but the Bible actually says more about money than it says about heaven. It has more verses in there about money than it has verses about hell. Whew, thank goodness. It has more verses in there than it has verses on salvation. It is the weirdest thing. Now, sometimes the, the money... Illust the money uh, uh, verse in there really isn't talking about money. It's an illustration for another principle. But the Bible has a lot to say about money. And the primary metaphor that the Bible uses to describe debt is slavery. It's found right here in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. This verse is talking about power. Rich people have power. Wealthy people have power. The people who lend money have power. The people who borrow put themselves under the power of the lender. The lender calls the shots. The borrower's at the mercy of the lender. Do you know how I know this is true? Our poor friends in Greece borrowed and borrowed and borrowed and borrowed. Notice what they did here at the Bank de Greece. They <laughs> bonked a Merkel. I love this op-ed piece. Germans begin the looting of Greece, and here's the first line, to the victor goes the spoils. In, right now, in the Greece-Germany relationship, who has power, Greece or Germany? Germany has power because Germany's got money, and Germany's been lending and infusing money into Greece. And now if you're a, a, a Grecian citizen, you're all bent out of shape because these Germans are telling you how to live your life and what you can do and not do and whether or not you're gonna get your share of the pension, the Germans. Well, the borrower is a servant to the lender. It's how it works. I have a friend who uh, borrowed a lot of money from his father-in-law for a house and to pay off grad school debt. And his father-in-law is a little pushy and there was this family trip and he really couldn't, didn't want to get time off work. It was going to be problematic and they didn't want to go. And the father-in-law just kept pushing, 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 pushing. I remember talking to him on the phone. I was like, just say no. Just tell him you can't do it. And you know what he said to me? I can't. 
I owe that man a ton of money. Borrower is servant to the lender, okay? We know this is true because uh, of what God describes in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 28, 12, the Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. Some of you are like, I'm putting that on my steering wheel. Go right ahead. <laughs> That's a good one. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. In other words, what God is saying in Deuteronomy chapter 28 is, if you do the things that I've commanded and laid out for you, it's gonna be awesome. You're gonna be the lender. Other nations are gonna be under your power, under your authority, and you're gonna go, turn left, and they're gonna go, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'll turn left now, thank you. Please don't take my stuff back, <laughs> you know, okay? Borrower is servant to the lender. But there's a warning in this, and it's found in Deuteronomy 28, 15. But, but if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. And then, he, and then there's a long list. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, and it's scary stuff in there. And one of the one of the curses that will fall them is in Deuteronomy 43, 28, verses 43 and 44. The foreigners living among you will become stronger and stronger while you become weaker and weaker. They will do what? Lend money to you. You won't lend to them. They will be the head and you will be the tail. And that's a sign, that's an indication to the Israelites that they're living under the curse. They're, they're being punished for their disobedience. God didn't want his people to become permanent debtors. You know, I know this because there's this passage in Leviticus that talks about a, a thing the nation of Israel was supposed to do that would have prevented people from becoming permanent debtors. In addition, you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven cents of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. And then on the day of atonement in the 50th year, blow a ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land who all live there. It will be a jubilee year for you when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. This 50th year will be a jubilee for you. During that year, don't plant your fields or store away any of the crops that grow and don't gather grapes, it will be a jubilee year for you and you must keep it holy, but eat whatever the land produces on its own. What's going on here? In this 50th year, the nation of Israel was supposed to do several things. All foreclosed upon property was to be returned to the original owners. If you were in debt, your debts were all canceled, all of them in that year, boom. The slate is wiped clean completely. Some prisoners were set free. All slaves were set free. How does this sound? Yeah, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Sounds awesome. And you're like, wait a minute. This is like socialism. Like, what's going on here? I'm not voting for this. Well, how did they do this? Well, it's spelled out. When you make an agreement with your neighbor to buy or sell property, don't take advantage of each other. Man, we should put that on bumper stickers, shouldn't we? <laughs> When you buy land from your neighbor, the price you pay must be based on the number of years since the last jubilee. The seller must take, uh, set the price by taking into account the number of years remaining. The more years until the next jubilee, the higher the price. The fewer the years, the lower the price. After all, the person selling the land isn't really selling you the land. 
He's selling you a number of harvests because he's going to get it back in the end. That sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? If Israel actually had lived this out, there would have been no class of perpetually poor people because every 50 years there would have been a giant reset. By the way, the imagery of the Jubilee is imagery that Jesus uses when talking about his ministry. When Jesus comes onto the scene, the language he uses is language of, hey, the Jubilee has come with my arrival. Now, we know what it's like to have a lot of people unable to repay debt. I don't know if you remember, but we had this thing called 2008. <laughs> there are still people in the community, and my, some of my chamber friends are still <laughs> whimpering from 2008. Uh, my brother bought a home, put $80,000 cash down, bought this home for $425,000. Three years later, it was worth $150,000. He lost everything. Boom. I know. There were people that are hurting. Now, the government did help some people, right? It helped some banks. Um, banks are people too. It helped um, General Motors. It helped some homeowners through HARP. Now, if you were a student and you had student debt and you couldn't pay, the government thought about it and huddled together and decided that would be bad to let you off your loans because that would set a precedent and you might think that you can take out money that you might never repay. And so they wanted you to know for sure that you should honor your debts. So you didn't get any assistance. But the government did help some people. Now, regardless of what you think the government should or shouldn't have done, can we agree that it's still true that the borrower is servant to the lender? In our system, in the American system, is it true that the borrower is servant to the lender? Hmm, yes. God is probably telling us something that's true. So let me ask a question. Oh, yeah, here's, I love this cartoon. Here's Wall Street. Hey, I got a golden parachute. Here's you. I got an anvil. <laughs> You're like, I know, I paid my tax bill. Can I ask a question in light of what God has to say about debt and debt being kind of slavery? What views of debt were modeled for you at home? Was it more of when you were growing up, when you were a kid, maybe you're still at home now, right? What are the attitudes about debt that kind of pervade things? Is it kind of a, hey, it's just the way things are. You need a truck, you go out and borrow money. It's no big deal. You go out on vacation, you charge it. It's no big deal. We'll pay it later down the road. Everybody's in debt. It's okay. Or did you grow up in a home where it was more like, what? You know, beaker from the Muppets. You know, <laughs> and, and your parents were freakoid about debt. You know, what, what was your context? Okay? And then secondly, do you need to make any changes to your approach to debt or debts that you have? All right? If the primary metaphor for debt in the Bible is slavery, do you need to tweak some things? All right? I, I want this to be as practical as possible, even though I'm talking about Uncle Sam, because, you know, you have a life too. <laughs> And the first one is, I want you to be wise about debt. There, there are some things called appreciating assets. Typically, normally, in this country, if you buy a house, 10 years later, it's worth more. Normally. <laughs> Who knows what normal is anymore? Typically, right? You get an education, certain degrees, et cetera. You know, you're going to earn more income. It's an 
appreciating asset. But, but be wise about what you borrow and how much you borrow, right? You know, just because you qualify for a gazillion dollars, maybe you shouldn't take out a gazillion dollars. When Jenny and I bought our first home, they told us we, we were approved for something like $170,000. Do you know what, what the house cost that we bought? 78, half that. Because when we did the numbers, we were like, that's what we can afford and still pay the electric bill and not cry ourselves to sleep at night. <laughs> okay? Um, I was just at a leadership retreat with some people from the Chamber of Commerce and a guy who does uh, physical therapy through Central Baptist. He talks to groups of students that want to become physical therapists. One of the things he said was, you know, $80,000 in debt is okay, but the kids that are at $120,000, that's, that's beyond the line. Like, you know, so, and he, he's not even a believer, but he was basically acknowledging that there's a threshold, there's a line after which it's like, woo, be careful, right? So what I'm saying is, be wise. If you're, if you're about to go into college or you're in college, just be, again, just because you qualify for a ton of money doesn't mean you should take it. Um, in our family, with each of our kids, we have an amount that we've agreed upon ahead of time. Here's the total amount. And again, some degrees you graduate and your starting income is 75,000 and some degrees your starting salary is 24. You know, take that into account, right? So just be wise is what I'm saying. And along those lines, being wise means like you should probably be wise when you're borrowing money or tempted to borrow money for depreciating assets. Um, here's the stereotypical new car, right? Um, the new car that costs $29,873, one minute later, as soon as it drives off the lot, it is worth $27,314. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Okay, so, you know, keep that in mind. Maybe borrowing money for depreciating assets isn't such a good idea. By the way, I think one of the biggest, one of the biggest sins going on in our society, I know Christians like to get, get out of, bent out of shape about social issues, but I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, you know what I get bent out of shape is on? the amount of debt that one generation is passing on to the other. That's not cool. Young people need to have a chance to kind of fly and not like as soon as they leave the nest be going, bam, some big giant hands flapping them to the ground. That's rough. Hey, young people, I got your back. You should form a political action committee. Just saying, okay? So <laughs> old people got one. Maybe you should get one, right? So secondly, be wise about credit cards. I use a debit card now. I didn't for the longest time because I thought, man, I got this covered. And then I hit a year where I, I reasoned myself that I, oh, it's no big deal. I can, I'll pay this later. And it was a, ouch, oh, ouch. So I shredded that card and I use Mr. Debit Card now. I was just at two places yesterday and uh, when they, add, they, they always say, do you want a receipt? And I'm like, oh yeah, I need to subtract it. And they always give me this look like, what? You need to what? I'm like, yeah, this is my checking account. I need to subtract it because <laughs> if I don't have money, I can't buy anything. <laughs> okay, so be wise. I like, to, I like to think of credit cards like a giant donut store or when you go to an event, when you go to an event and they've got a big plate of Krispy Kreme donuts or Spalding's donuts and then they've got a bowl of fruit. I, I've been to events. You know what's left? the fruit. <laughs> and I know some of you here, you're like, I would totally eat the fruit. I, would, I wouldn't eat, touch the donuts at all. You are exceptional. You really are. And, and I applaud you right now. You are an exceptional human being. 
I'm just not like you. If I see the donut, I'm gonna wanna eat the donut. And if there are four donuts, I'm gonna see how many of them I can polish off. And credit is like that for me, okay? So you need to understand your own discipline level. If you're disciplined and you can pay it off every month, great, awesome. For many of us, credit cards are like a donut store and, <laughs> and donuts long-term aren't good for you, okay? So another bit of advice, hey, don't borrow against retirement. I know you're tempted. Look, Jenny and I, when we were first married, she had two years of retirement in Illinois that we took out to pay medical bills. I mean, it's, and we, it's, we, we, we weren't taking it out to like go to Disney World. It was medical bills. We were only like 23 years old. And bam, there was a penalty. And then the government took half of it in taxes. Now, that $2,500 that we took out that would be tens upon tens upon thousands of dollars. And it's just gone because we borrowed against retirement. You may be following in our own state. Um, our state's lucky enough to be 49th in the nation in terms of the solvency of its pension funds. Um, I researched this. Um, you know how you owe like uh, 60000 on the debt or $200,000 if you add in all the Social Security and Medicare? You need to add to that $8,268 if you're a Kentuckian. That's, if every Kentuckian kicked in $8,268 right now, we would write the pension funds. We'd be okay. So again, if you want to leave that check on the way out, I will give that to the governor's office. You're like, no, he's taking enough of my money. So I'm just saying, be wise about retirement, okay? Remember, debt and freedom move in opposite directions. The more debt you have, the less freedom you have. The less debt you have, the more freedom you have, okay? And I want you to have freedom. I want you to be free. Like, for those of you that have debt right now, just for a moment, go to a happy place. Imagine that all your debt is gone. <sighs> Some of you are like, that's like $1,500 a month. I know, what kind of vacation could you take on $1,500 a month? You could rent the most killer boat on Lake Cumberland and invite all of your friends, <laughs> okay? <laughs> right? So <laughs> you could buy a ton of donuts. You could buy a Krispy Kreme store <laughs> and you wouldn't even have to share, <laughs> okay? Last but not least, and again, I wanted this to be practical. Pay, payday loans, buy here, pay here places. They're gonna rob you. They're gonna rob you. I know, like my dad was a banker for a long, long time and he tried for several years to get the Kentucky legislature to change uh, how it regulates payday loan places. And he was getting mad, 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 mad. And finally, one day I said to him, Dad, I said, here's the deal. And it's a legislator that's not a legislator anymore. Uh, I said, here's what you need to do. Here's where you go to find out who's contributing to his campaign. My bet is that the payday loan people have a pack and he's getting money. Would you just go to this place, research it? And, and he did. And the next week when we had lunch, he goes, Mark, you were right. I da 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 da. And oh, he was so mad. And I was like, okay. Well, would you be willing to write that guy a check and add $100 to that amount? If you do that, I think you might, you know, <laughs> and he was just so frustrated, okay? I say that to say they can charge 400%. When you go to a buy here, pay here place for car, a lot of times you're going to buy a $2,000 car, but you're going to pay $10,000 for it. 
I want you to be wise. Um, maybe it means you're taking a scooter or bumming rides for a few months to save a couple of thousand dollars to buy that $2,000 car, but I don't want you to get, I don't want the sharks to eat you, gang. These are sharks, okay? And if you've done this in the past and you've gotten eaten, you know what? We have all made mistakes, okay? But moving forward, I just want you to be wise. I want you to be wise. Again, be wise about debt. In 2010, I went to a pastor's conference in northern Indiana, and uh, it was two years after the Great Recession of 2008, and I sat down for lunch with a group of pastors from Michigan. And they found out I was a church planner, that we didn't have a building, and they were like, we have a building. Why don't you buy our building? You know, joking. They were joking around. So I joked back, and apparently my joke was not well received because I hit a really... I touched a wound. And the guy who was at the table, who was the executive pastor, then told me this long story. Our, our, month, our annual payments on this debt are over $400,000. I have had to lay off five of my best friends. These are guys that we, we did ministry together for years. And, and they, don't, they, can't, they don't have work right now. And boom, I got this long, painful story. Debt limits freedom. They, now, they, that church borrowed on the assumption that they would grow, 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 grow. And so what they borrowed was not based on what they could repay right then and there. It was based on what they could be, repay if they had grown X percent. Okay? Um, the year I graduated from seminary, there was a guy I knew. He was 50 at the time. So at age 50, he graduated from seminary. He was the, oh, I love him. He's, he's an amazing guy. Um, and he was in the Methodist system. So in the Methodist system, you don't get to pick the church. The bishop picks the church for you. Now, when he graduated seminary, he had done college and seminary, and he owed $75,000. And when the, when, the, when the appointment came, and it was two small churches in Indiana, he did the number crunching, and he realized he couldn't, after doing all that schooling, he couldn't take the appointment. And so he actually went back to work for the state court system of Indiana and paid off debt on something that he's not using for ministry, all right? In, now, here's the good news. In this room right now, there are some people who are actually debt-free. In this room right now, there are some people, the only debt they have is their house. And they would tell you, hey, it was hard. Hey, we did stupid stuff, but you know what? You can be better off than Uncle Sam. And I would say to you, you can be uncle, better off than Uncle Sam. It might take a little discipline. It might take some work. But Uncle Sam's broke, but you don't have to be gang. All right? I want you to have a better future. Can I pray for you and pray for me? Father, this is hard. We want donuts. Donuts are awesome. And it's hard to have discipline and everything else. And so, God, we confess all of our shortcomings and failings and culture and Uncle Sam and everything else, and we lay it at your feet and we feel like that widow in 2 Kings who had nothing and who pleaded for you to help. And along comes the prophet and gives her oil. And she can pay off her creditors. God, help us in that way. Help us to take steps to walk toward freedom and get out of debt. And help us so that the only master we have in life is you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.